0: and welcome back to the cover three podcast here on cbs sports that's Tom Fernelli. i'm chip patterson come to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24 7 sports facebook network happy game week to all who celebrate which of course is all of you that are here if you are watching live smash that subscribe smash that like come and join us in the chat a ton to get to today we are going to be jumping back into the camp buzz we're going to be uh, discussing the Big Ten's new media rights deal, but you know, I, I'm, I'm not a big like sports media analysis guy, but there were some interesting comments that will be coming from a Kevin Warren HBO Sports interview uh, set to air on Tuesday. We've got the transcript of that and some interesting pieces to look at, at least as it pertains to the future of the Big Ten and conference realignment. But then once we're at that, it's conference realignment on the shelf. Uh, before we get out of here, also taking a look at some week zero storylines. We'll be p- doing our official picks. We'll be doing our official previews on Thursday's locks episode. But at least we want to set the table and see what's at stake for some of these teams. Uh, I know that we're already starting to see some college football fans that are in Ireland. That uh, you know just start sort of starting to enjoy what that trip is going to be. And um, and Nebraska certainly got its tummies ready. But we'll uh, we'll get more on the uh, the guts of uh, the Cornhuskers offensive linemen here in just a little bit. Tom, the last Monday, just a full, um, you know, n- need to be honest with the viewers and the listeners here, but last Monday we had planned on unveiling Camp Buzz. Uh, you know, we were we were having a, a few technical difficulties, so things were a little bit stressful, and something slipped my mind. Uh, shout out to Brian from JB's Whiskey House in Nashville. He's a huge Cover 3 fan, long-time listener. It was very cool to catch up with him, and one of the first things he said to me was, what happened to the Camp Buzz drop? So... <laughs> If it's okay with you, I think that we need to give it to the people. And as we prepare for week zero game week, and as we have our second scrimmage for some of the teams that are starting in week one uh, in the bag, we got quarterbacks announced. You ready to buzz it up?
2: If we don't, how will we know that we're talking about players that are buzzing?
0: Talking about players that are buzzing. Players that are making a buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Can't, can't buzz. Talking about players that are buzzing. There was Texas football player availability on Friday mm-hmm. and um, sports information director, John Bianco brought Bianco brought everybody out. Um, and right at the very end of the availability, he said, beep, 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 beep. Oh, hot message here from head coach, Steve Sarkeesian Quinn. Ewers is going to be the starting quarterback for the Texas Longhorns. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Interesting. Way to announce it. I mm-hmm. would have loved to have heard this from Steve Sarkeesian so that we could have had some follow-up questions. How did the competition go? You know, reports were that Hudson Card had done a good job of pushing Ewers for the job. There's a lot to break down here. Quinn Ewers, obviously one of the biggest stars in the entire sport. What do you make of Quinn Ewers finally announced as Texas's QB1?
2: What do I make of it or do I, what do I want to wildly speculate about?
0: Well, this, those are two things that are probably hand in hand.
2: Uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, I feel like we, since Quinn Ewers transferred to Texas, I feel like we always thought this was the logical destination point where he was going there. He was going to be the starter. We talked about it as if he was the starter pretty much the entire offseason. And then it really wasn't until the last week or so when the reports started leaking out that's like, hey, Hudson Card's uh, not exactly out of this. Like it's, you know, we w- there was some hesitation there, but... I don't know. I mean, he. it shouldn't be a surprise. He was the top-ranked quarterback in his recruiting class. He's a high-rated five-star. He's apparently a very talented player. So the fact that he's winning the starting job, not not a huge surprise. But I will say that the way it was announced and just like the phrase, like when the tweets that came out announcing it, just it it was odd. Cause yeah, like the he reporter
0: said, said it was awkward. You could hear a pin drop. There was no like celebration. There was no fanfare to it. Like yeah. that's... That's a very odd way to announce it.
2: So, like, since Sark didn't make the announcement, and the SID did, and the I think it was Brian Davis from the Austin American Statesman who originally tweeted it and said they were sitting down to do interviews with players when the SID stepped in and announced that you were to be the starter. And he said, like, none of the players they were interviewing had any response to it. So either A, they already knew, <laughs> or B, they weren't excited. I think Occam's Razor here, they already knew. Right. But I think B is a lot more fun. <laughs> that they
0: weren't excited? <laughs> because
2: oh, so- if, you, if you go to the message boards, like, There's a whole lot of, you know, speculation and just gossip going about and most of it coming from Texas A&M boards because Texas A&M doesn't care about Texas. They aren't rivals. Stop asking them about it. Um, They think that Sark didn't make the decision. It's clearly a booster who made the decision and forced it upon them, which is why Sark didn't announce it. And his teammates all hate him. And there's going to be a there's going to be a revolt in the locker room. But you know, it's Texas, it might all be true. All right. I was gonna
0: say the, the idea that there's too many cooks in the kitchen, the idea that there's a lot of boosters and there's a lot of influence, like this this all checks out. That's mm-hmm. the problem with our wild speculation is that based on everything we know about that football program and how it operates, all of it might be the case. I do think that the it, this could be a Quinn Ewers thing. That Quinn Ewers probably, as soon as he showed up on campus, was going to be the QB1. And that maybe in some of these scrimmages and in some of this work, the, the player who I think has more arm talent than anybody else in that quarterback room, Hudson Card included, and is probably the highest ceiling player of anybody in that quarterback room, you know, may, maybe he wasn't processing everything and maybe he was turning the ball over a few too many times. And that if you're head coach Steve Sarkeesian or if you're the offensive staff and you're seeing your QB1, who is likely going to be QB1, starting to be a little bit loose with the ball, maybe that is what leads to some of that conversation, or maybe that was what allowed Hudson card to be reportedly very much in this, even to the point where Friday morning, Mm -hmm. there were reports that were like Hudson card might be the front runner here. So, now Steve Sarkeesian has to jump ahead of that. Here's what I think about the timing. I don't think that the boosters forced him to do it, though I joked with you on text that like, Steve Sarkeesian got hit with an announce it tomorrow or else. <laughs> like, I don't think that's the no. case. I think that he wanted uh, Quinn Ewers to be able to go into the second scrimmage And be able to be the starting quarterback, to run with the ones and to see how he handles that situation, leading the offense, like doing all those things that are intangibles. If you believe as a head coach that you can tighten up on some of those mistakes, you can get Quinn Ewers into a point where he is not going to cost your team. Now you need him to do all those things that you want to see out of a starting quarterback and letting him know heading into that scrimmage, I think was a big part of it. So, the the timing certainly was odd, but I think it probably has the most to do with what Quinn Ewers was showing that wasn't great in terms of some of the turnovers that he had had so far in camp, and then what they were expecting out of their starting quarterback, what they wanted to see from him going into the weekend.
2: Yeah, and I also think there's a possibility, which this is far less boring, but going back to the Occam's razor of the players weren't excited because the players already knew. Like the fact, like what was happening last week? there were quarterbacks who were losing their position battle who were entering the transfer portal. It could also just be that the Hudson card is still fighting for the job and still has a chance to win. It could have been floated out just to make sure he's not entering the transfer portal because they want to keep him as depth because maybe, you know, it's like, hey, yours, they might think he's really good. They don't think he's perfect. Or they're trying to be like, if he gets hurt, it would be great to still have Hudson card behind him. So there's any number of reasons for what the hell happened with all this, but we know how the internet's going to react to anything.
0: Well, and by the way, we've already got one major injury on the offensive line for Texas. Mm -hmm. The group that might is potentially very talented. We expect Texas's offensive line to be good in the future right now, a little bit green, A a a little bit shaky. Like if Quinn Ewers does end up, I mean, I don't know. Is there Tom, is there anybody on Texas's schedule that has a strong and violent pass rusher and a defense that might create some some physically challenging opportunities for a quarterback who's on the run and running for his life out there?
2: Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked at UTSA's depth chart lately. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know.
0: Um, okay, let's keep the camp buzz going because this is a, a, a what's becoming a very interesting quarterback battle at one of the most important uh, programs in the entire country. Because when we were going into fall camp, Jim, Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh said uh, on a, an athletic department podcast, he's you know he was like, you know, normally with these battles by the eighth or ninth practice, you know, we we like to see something separate. That's about when you want to have your starter be able to hand him the keys to the offense and, and pull away. Cade McNamara, obviously the incumbent, JJ McCarthy, the challenger. JJ McCarthy played a good bit last year. Tom, well-documented, he thinks that McCarthy is the guy. Late last week, now that we're about 12 practices in for Michigan, he said, Jim, you're in the back half of camp now. Has there been any separation at quarterback? To which Jim Harbaugh, and I'll paraphrase here, is complimenting both of them. Says they're both elevating their game on a daily basis. It's pretty tight. They're both playing high starter caliber and indicated that this might be a competition that stretches all the way into the regular season. Do you think that we are dealing with more trying to maintain uh, tr- trying to maintain your depth? Do you think that we are looking at a scenario where it truly is uh, difficult to call? Or is this a motivational tactic? What do you think ends up coming out from uh, what we are getting in terms of some of the buzz from Ann Arbor?
2: I think it's possible depth just to make sure everybody's happy and sticking around. But I also, I, th- I think that's possible. But I think it's more likely as Harbaugh is just being honest. Because last year, like, he didn't hide it. He named McNamara the starter pretty early in the competition and said he was pretty open about McNamara was ahead of McCarthy. So he's kind of changing his tune this year, which causes me to think that the battle between them is legit. And I also think if you're Michigan and you look at their non-conference schedule, which is pretty soft, it's like what Colorado State, Hawaii and somebody else who I cannot remember off the top of my head. It is UConn. Yeah. Yeah you can go into the season and maybe McNamara is the first person to take snaps. But like we saw, like last year, McCarthy got plenty of snaps. You could go into your non-conference schedule with the idea that you're probably going to win those three games. And you can use those three games somewhat as more practice, more of a way to determine instead of doing it against the same players they've been seeing in camp all spring and all summer, seeing them live against opponents that they aren't familiar with and seeing how they perform in those environments. Because, I think he's got two good options. I'm not surprised if they're both playing well enough or either one's not truly separating from the other. But I also think that just based on my history of following Jim Harbaugh teams, both at college and the NFL, Cade is always going to have a chance simply because he does not do stupid stuff. And I think that Jim Harbaugh really appreciates quarterbacks who don't turn the ball over, and they might not be the best, most talented player on his roster, but they're not putting his team in bad situations. And I think Cade McNamara is a good quarterback who doesn't put his team in bad situations. And as I've got over many times, I think J.J. McCarthy has a much higher ceiling, but maybe he just doesn't have that kind of trust in him yet. And he's Maybe he wants to see him in those games against Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn, and be like, if, I could, if, if McCarthy plays well and he takes care of the football... Maybe by the time they play their Big Ten opener, McCarthy is the predominant starter.
0: Um, Tom, one of the three, cover three experts that are in on the lock unity for the Michigan over nine and a half. What do you think? At Iowa, does the decision even need to be made by then? Maryland is the first home game. You mentioned the non-conference schedule. Maryland is the first conference game. That game is at home. They are at Iowa on October 1st. That also is when we start to get past the uh, the four-game redshirt sort of mm-hmm. moment if somebody were to try to transfer you think that we see one of those quarterbacks pull away before then
2: I think ideally you want to have your starter before you go on the road to Iowa you do not you don't want to be going to Kinnick in that situation kind of playing you know yo-yo with your QB sending one in and sending one out because it's just a tough environment to play in to begin with so you'd like to have for that entire week of prep for that game you'd like to have somebody who knows who I'm the guy this is my game
0: and this should be a, a very 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 good offense with either quarterback Mm -hmm. I would say it's probably the other part of this, which is just an amazing place for Michigan to be. You know, when we try to think about uh, the evolution of the Michigan offense under Jim Harbaugh, like as long as, I mean, they dealt with injuries last year and still were able to make it all the way to the college football playoff. If that group stays healthy, that could be what one of the best off, like one of the best offenses in the big 10, obviously Ohio state is the pace setter there, but Take those two teams. We're also probably talking about two of the top, what, five, ten offenses in the entire country?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because like once Michigan got crushed by Georgia in the playoff, the talk was, see, their offense isn't any good because, you know, Georgia, all the other (laughs) offenses were just having great days against Georgia all season last year.
0: It was one- it wasn't even an offense. There was one man who yeah. had one good game against that Georgia defense, and it basically won him the Heisman Trophy mm-hmm. with what Bryce Young was able to do. Uh, more buzz from quarterback battles across the country. Casey Thompson gets the nod at Nebraska. We'll have more on the Cornhuskers coming up a little bit later in Week 0 storylines. Grant Wells, you'll remember him from Marshall. Marshall. He ends up being named the starter at Virginia Tech. North Carolina Mac Brown has told one of it, the two quarterbacks who will be the starter he will make the announcement to the media a little bit later on. Uh, any any other uh, quarterback battles or buzz from across the country that stood out to you? Eat those also included uh, on the uh, on the plate.
2: Uh, nothing specific. I I am excited about Grant Wells because I th- you know seeing Grant Wells at Marshall, I thought he was a pretty good player, and I think that Virginia Tech the last few years you know. They haven't, they've lost some guys to the portal that have gone on, you know, to to do pretty well. But I felt like the quarterback situation under Justin Fuente the last few years was pretty subpar, pretty lackluster. And I don't think Grant Wells is the kind of guy who is going to come in and light the world on fire. But I do think Grant Wells is a good player. He is a power five quarterback. And I think that he can do some stuff and make some plays that really Virginia Tech's just kind of lacked at that position. They've lacked the guy, the playmaker type of quarterback, the guy who can make something out of nothing. And I think Wells has some of that to his game. So I think that's going to be an interesting one to follow with the Hokies.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm just like way too in my ACC bag here, but that was one note that I picked up from Brent Pry um, last month in Charlotte was you know the discussion was Grant Wells and all these yards that he threw and all these passing touchdowns. And and he was quick to say, and this was when the quarterback battle with Jason Brown, the South Carolina transfer, was still going on. He said, "Look, like Grant wells can he didn't say boogie, but he was like, Grant mm-hmm. Wells can scoot too. like he he can get out there and run, and there's some athleticism that that Brent Pry believes wasn't always part of the plan for him during his career at Marshall. But as we're looking at what Virginia Tech is going to do, they're going to need that playmaking. They cannot have a statue back there. They need someone who can who can also do some damage in the run game as well. So that is uh, the expectation. Also, was it Thursday? We got the the Big Ten news. The Big Ten has announced it's going to enter a new uh, media rights agreement. It is a record breaking one, a seven billion dollar deal with Fox with CBS and with NBC. It will begin in July of 2023 and it will run through the end of the 2029 season. At least that is uh that's on our terms. There will be one year where we will have uh, CBS with both the uh, big 10, some big 10 games and also some sec games, the sec leaving to go all to ESPN and ABC in the, in the 2024. Now the like, projected distributions here which is going to include UCLA and USC joining as full members that eventually could get anywhere for 80 million 100 million dollars a year but I think that the interesting piece of this is the Big Ten as it starts to you know move forward and as it starts to make itself really the leader within the college sports space is Kevin Warren is, is Kevin Warren done here like what's what is the takeaway as Kevin Warren is again about to be on HBO sports? There's an interview that's going to air Tuesday. The questions, it was so funny because you can take the quotes and like turn them into a perfectly worded tweet that makes it sound like Kevin Warren is just like about to drop big 10 invites, you know, mm-hmm. after the break, but then, you know, <laughs> you get into the breakdown of the questioning from Brian Gumbel and it is more along the lines of, you know, do, could you see your league at 20? He said, yes, you know, we I could see us continuing to grow. You know, could you see uh, paying players? He said, yes, I think that is something that we will have to continue to look at moving forward. Kevin Warren was, uh, unlike many conference commissioners, very brash when he was addressing the media at Media Days. What do you think about the Big Ten's deal itself and sort of where he has hinted uh, the conference might be going?
2: Uh, Big Ten is rich. (laughs) It's very, very rich. Maybe that will help USC and UCLA pay their travel expenses for their volleyball teams. We'll see how that works. Um, No, I think it's a good deal for television-wise for the Big Ten. I think it's good for Kevin Warren, who, when he first started, took the job over, didn't get off to the greatest start. So I think coming in with this monster TV deal is good for him. And I also think the fact that the way they negotiated it's where I think their deal comes open again before the SEC's new deal does.
0: It's only a yeah. Only being a seven-year deal um, allows. Yes, so right, gap, I don't cut you off. Yes,
2: the gap between as far as revenue, the gap between the Big Ten and the SEC is going to be growing over the length of both of their deals, and then the Big Ten is going to be getting a new deal before the SEC is able to get its new deal. So, I. I would expect that once that happens, the SEC's new deal would be, since it'd be later, it would be bigger than the Big Ten's. Who knows what's going to happen with television money, but just based off what we've seen, but it's between then, the revenue gap's going to grow. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Big Ten's able to take advantage of that as far as putting product on the field, as far as in, in like the NIL landscape, if the conference becomes more involved in that from top to bottom um but like you said Kevin Warren also mentioned the idea of possibly paying players I don't put much stock in that but I do think it is interesting because it's like once the people in charge start saying that stuff it tends to only be a matter of time it's just Kevin Warren can say that and it doesn't actually have to do anything it's (laughs) just you know it's like yeah no definitely we would definitely be considering paying players and then you know 20 years from now maybe they finally start or maybe they don't who knows but it's something that's easier to say than it is to do but it, it, it's obviously if, it, if it's already something he's considering doing maybe the big 10 will start trying to be ahead of the curve on that one because again they are going to be making over a billion dollars a year and you're kind of reaching that point where hell you've been past the point you're reaching the point where it's like how the hell can they be making this much money and not be paying the players like nil is not enough compared to the money that will be coming in but yeah i don't know it's i i do think i as far as expansion he can't say no because right. if if you say no we're stopping at 16 well what happens if notre dame calls you tomorrow and then says no we're in and then you're going back on your word and then it starts coming up with well remember when he canceled the season and then he changed his mind on that too why can't kevin ward make up his mind so he's got to be open to that. And I, I do think the big Ten could be open to 20 teams. Cause let's be real. Like we just, I'm talking about the sec and the big 10 media deals here. The big 10 going to be making more money than the sec, but the sec is making plenty of money and the sec and the big 10 are both making a lot more money than anybody else. Like the big 12 and the pack 12 are going to have new TV deals here. And while the conferences aren't going to dissolve, they're not going to be making nearly as much money as the big 10 and the sec. So, As far as a lot of schools, the Big Ten and the SEC are always going to be an attractive destination compared to where they are. So if either of those conferences ever does decide, let's add some more schools, they're going to have the ability to do it. So, yeah, it's it's all just who knows at this point, really. That was a really long winded answer saying, I don't know.
0: Well, so to me, there's two things that stand out. Number one, the fact that it's a seven year deal. Only furthers the idea that when the ACC signed up for a twenty-year oh, agreement, God. that you were setting yourself up to fall behind. Like that, at the time, that was seen as something that was going to calm the waters, fortify the ACC's standing. You know, you had this, you know, this relationship with Notre Dame, and everything was great. We were going to be locked in until twenty thirty-six. The Big Ten is the one of the like, arguably, the most powerful. It is the most powerful coast-to-coast college sports brand right now. And what did they do? They didn't do 10 years. They didn't do 12 years college football playoff on a 12-year schedule. They did seven, which mm-hmm. means – and this is what – it reminds me of like NBA free agency. What What do most like big-time NBA free agents do now? Two-year deals. Like we're mm-hmm. just going to go, and it's going to be the max amount for two years. And guess what? When free agency hits again and the market is reset – And the caps now, got up again. Yeah, now I'm back in it. And I, mm-hmm. I think that that was where – The Big Ten's announcement, like yes, like there's there's a lot that is going to be changing in terms of you know the opportunities that you and I have. It is going to be very interesting to see the Big Ten take over. It like the music, you know, when we decide to hit the music when we're doing that for a USC Michigan game, like it's it's going to take a little while to get used to. CBS is going to have the Big Ten championship game in 2024 and in Mm -hmm. 2028. Like, there's going to be a lot to change, but the thing stood- at the Rose
2: Bowl. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's going to be a lot to change, but the thing that stood out to me was like this: they could have gotten a 10-year deal, they could have gotten a 12-year deal if they wanted to win the headline. You know, you could have had this massive number about how much money this deal was for, but they're like, no, we would like to make this about a seven-year deal, which leads me to my next point, which is whether you're the Pac-12, whether you're the Big 12, whether you're the ACC, you now have your date. Mm-hmm. Like when we, when we talked about like, well, you know, in the future that like things could be calm right now, the grant of rights in the big 12 grant of rights in the ACC, you know, whatever the agreement ends up being with the PAC 12, as it gets its new meteorite deal, meteorite deal in place, seven years, I guess that's about how much time you got before we're going to get back into this, um, conference realignment and insanity I maybe before then, but I would bet that we're at least, you know, four or five years before we really start to, uh, before we really start to get there.
2: Going back a bit to the theme music just reminded me it was very funny to me how many SEC fans thought that was like specific music for them.
0: Oh, yeah. they, they uh, Listen, I'm, I'm sorry for like ripping this, but the phrase that I saw was they're telling on themselves, which is a perfect because mm-hmm. what it means is you're not a real one. If you thought that was an SEC only music, then you weren't with us watching yep. utah state at uh-huh. 10 30 p.m eastern time then you weren't with us on the mothership cbs sports network grinding when air force kicks off before noon at eleven thirty a.m <laughs> eastern time like <laughs> you weren't there for these service academy games like that's that is cbs college football music mm-hmm. and yes it will be used wherever cbs is showing college football
2: yeah, I tweeted it. A Cover 3 listener sent me a YouTube video of a 1989 game between Colorado and Nebraska on CBS. And guess what the opening theme music was?
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yep. So, yeah, the sorry, SEC fans, just because that was the only game you you don't watch anything outside the SEC. That was not your music. It's been CBS's music for a long time. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Coming up on the other side, we get into some of our week zero storylines. That and some
1: breaking news from Chapel Hill next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.
0: Peloton isn't just about bikes and treadmills. It is about a community. It is about a team of instructors, and they're always ready to motivate you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you're super busy and your schedule isn't always lined up that you can have the same time every single day for the same amount of time for your workout class, guess what? Peloton works on your schedule. So maybe on a Tuesday, you've just got 10 minutes for an upper body stretch between calls. Maybe then on Wednesday, you've got 30 minutes so that you can get in a nice run. And again, it's not just about the bikes and the treadmills, it's about the classes. It's about the fact that you've got things from strength training to yoga to running to boxing. It is the perfect non judgmental space to experiment with new types of movement at a level and at a pace that's good for you. Tom, the Different classes are great. The music is fantastic. As you've been getting ready for week zero, what's been on your uh, your Peloton grind right now?
2: Uh, I've been doing a lot of power zone rides, but you mentioned too, like just the different times and classes you could take because, you know, when I've always been riding my Peloton, I'm typically on a strict schedule of when I get on the Peloton. It's usually the same time on certain days of the week. But, you know, with getting ready for the season and the fact that I'm also in the process of moving, like if you can't see it now, but if I was able to show the listeners and the viewers what I'm actually looking at beyond this camera, they would understand that my house is kind of in an uproar at the moment. But so it's my Peloton schedule. It's not what it normally is. But thankfully, you know, whether I have 20 minutes or 30 minutes or if I have a full 45 minutes or an hour, there's always a class available for me so I can make sure that I get on the Peloton and keep going at it. And that's really just one of the many aspects of the Peloton that I love.
0: Yeah, the it, you're not going to stick with something that is difficult. Something that is you're going to find easy way to have excuses to miss out on that class, but if that class is always there for you, then when you've got the right attitude, when you're ready to get after it, it's right there. And by the way, when you need motivation, some people need that music and it is amazing. You've got that 90s hip hop classes. You've got maybe some power ballads get you through it. Maybe that you want to get your blood pumping with the Pride Month playlist. There is a class for that whatever you're into peloton has the music that will get you moving peloton is motivation that moves you anytime anywhere try the peloton bike or tread risk-free for 30 days to learn more go to onepeloton.com that is one o-n-e peloton p-e-l-o-t-o-n.com onepeloton.com new members apply terms apply onepeloton.com little bit of breaking news from Chapel Hill. Drake May has been announced as the starting quarterback. He beat out Jacoby Criswell for that job. North Carolina among the teams that will be in action in week zero. So this is a game week for the Tar Heels. Uh, Florida A&M on deck will be coming to Chapel Hill. More on that in a little bit. I will say the quarterback position is probably one of your biggest storylines to keep an eye on. Wyoming, Illinois, obviously, will be getting about the next – 75 minutes of our attention here so go That's ahead right. and buckle up mm-hmm. uh but let's start with northwestern and nebraska and an offensive line that apparently has been puking all over the place as uh as they've been going through their their fall camps i i know we can chuckle at like the sort of tough guy like yeah our practices are we're getting worked so hard they're puking all over the place but This is a Nebraska team that has been challenged. It's been challenged with expectations of being able to make the postseason for the first time since Scott Frost arrived. It's been challenged with uh, the analysis that has come from us and others that they were the best three win team in America. And they were on every single game, in every single game that they played, they were competitive. They were right there. They were literally one score away from seeing many of these results flip. So as Nebraska uh, takes, takes its trip over to Ireland, and maybe the Northwestern side is, is more important to you or more interesting, but what are we going to expect out of this, uh, this Cornhuskers team as they prepare for their season opener? Uh, I mean, first of all, my f-
2: reaction to the our offensive linemen are puking a thousand times a day quote was that's not good because it means they're losing mass, and you don't want a small, slender offensive line. You want them to be big and block. The second one is I'm not sure that's something I'd be bragging about, like, I don't know, just I don't want to change the subject too much here, but I'm going to go back to 2018. A headline from a story written by some guy named Chip Patterson on CBS Scott Frost takes responsibility as two Nebraska players hospitalized after workout. The story leads Nebraska coach Scott Frost confirmed to the Journal Stars that two players, wide receiver Tajon Lindsey and defensive lineman Dylan Owen, were hospitalized after one of the team's winter conditioning workouts. After being treated for rhabdomyolysis, both players were released from the hospital after a couple days as have since returned to the team. So a couple years ago, you had players had to be hospitalized because you were working them out too hard, and now you're bragging about your offensive line is puking constantly because you're working them out too hard. It's Okay. Uh, Cool. Yeah, big, cool,
0: big, t- big, tough guy.
2: <laughs> Glad to see we've learned our lesson. Um, as for the game itself, this is it's it's a, I think it's a huge game for both teams, honestly, because you know, Nebraska was three and nine last year. Much better team than that record suggests. And it's a very important year for Scott Frost. So you go across the Atlantic Ocean to play in Ireland and you lose to Northwestern team that was really bad last season to start the year. That's not going to make things much easier. For going, you know, the rest of the season, it's going to set the season off. It's going to set the narratives in the wrong direction. And it's just going to kind of snowball like it already has been snowballing. And probably before you know it, Scott Frost is fired. On the other side, Northwestern, I just said, came off a terrible year. So while they're not in the same situation where if they start the season with a loss at Nebraska, people are going to overreact to it. But for Northwestern to get a win in this game, in which they're pretty hefty underdog looking at the spread last I looked at, I think it was like, what, 12 points? Mm Mm-hmm. Like to get this kind of win and show people that, you know, last year was an anomaly. We're going to get back to Northwestern football. The defense is improving, I think, is huge. So for a week zero game between two Big Ten teams that I have a lot of question marks about, this is going to be a very interesting game. And not just because it's the only Power Five conference game on the schedule for week zero. So there's a whole lot of stuff in here that's going to be really interesting. I, I don't have too many storylines going in. I think the reaction to them is going to be far more interesting than anything.
0: Casey Thompson named the starting quarterback at Nebraska. And so, um,
2: not a surprise,
0: not a surprise. Casey Thompson was pretty good last season. He got, you know, it dealt with a little bit of a thumb injury, which played a huge role in his performance and you're going to need to be able to stay healthy to be able to do this. But we spent all of our Scott Frost offensive experience with Adrian Martinez. Like mm-hmm. this is for Scott Frost, not only as a head coach and as a leader of this program and his alma mater, but Scott Frost came from that Oregon offensive staff that was lighting it up. His UCF offenses were fantastic. And so when part of your reputation is really built around this idea of you being able to craft an offense, you being able to lead an offense that's going to be a real difference maker, Like there is something about Casey Thompson's performance that will be a huge part of how we look at Scott Frost. Like If Nebraska is losing games – but the offense is awesome, and Casey Thompson's lighting it up, and you know, Nebraska has one of the better offenses in the Big Ten already, like I mentioned, a high bar with teams like Ohio State and Michigan in that conference, Michigan State as well for that matter. I think that to see how Casey Thompson looks against a Northwestern defense that, like you mentioned, has traditionally been a huge part of the Pat Fitzgerald brand – It's very possible Northwestern makes life difficult for Casey Thompson. However, Mm -hmm. and this is where I'm right there with you, I don't have any certainty about what I'm going to get from Casey Thompson and this Nebraska offense, but if – he lights it up. I might start coming out of this with obviously an overreaction. I mean, tune in oh, Saturday fair. night for insane overreactions. That's
2: what week zero and week one are about. They're about coming to giant conclusions off of limited sample sizes. But as as for Casey Thompson, I will say the one thing that I think is really important here is when you think back to Scott Frost's offenses at Oregon and UCF. Like, yes, they had quarterbacks who were mobile that they used in the run game a lot, but they were quarterbacks that might not have been the greatest passers, but they at least presented the threat, especially with, you know, vertical passing. They were able to throw deep balls and take shots and move the ball that way and keep defenses honest. I feel like the problem that Nebraska has had is that Adrian Martinez, as a passer, has not been somebody that defenses have really had to respect. Mm -hmm. And he was too loose with the football. And while I don't think Casey Thompson is a world beater, and I don't think he's as effective as a runner as Adrian Martinez is because Martinez is built like a tank and he could just take more hits. But Thompson brings somewhat of a passing element to his game that Martinez just lacked, that I think Nebraska has sorely lacked because of it, which could make this Nebraska offense a little more reliable and start to look like the offense we thought Scott Frost was going to be bringing to Lincoln in the first place.
0: Um, one last thought since you mentioned the Northwestern side. I- what is a fair expectation for what we see out of Northwestern? Like if, if you're a Northwestern fan, like what is the, we, you already mentioned it's like 12, 12 and a half points, somewhere around there on the point spread. Um, what do you want to see from that group?
2: I just want to see the defense be better than last year. Because, like, if you even think to when Northwestern was winning the division and having really good seasons, it's not like the Wildcats have ever had an offense that was like, ooh, wow, look at what Northwestern's doing, explosive plays, putting points on the board. It's always been based on their defense, keeping them in games. And then when it came to the second half and in crunch time, Northwestern was not the team doing stupid stuff to beat itself. It caused you to do stupid stuff to beat yourself. And when they didn't have that last year, because that defense just kind of fell off a cliff, they couldn't hang around. So they were, you know, whether you did stupid stuff or not, it didn't matter because you already had a 30-point lead. <laughs> so I think that going into year two with the new defensive coordinator, Jim O'Brien, it's more experience because it was also a very young defense last year, too. And I think that gets overlooked too often. But I think if you see that defense take a step forward, this is a Northwestern team that in the Big Ten West, like you can get to six and six. Like there really is no great team in that division. So there's a whole lot of wiggle room that teams can exploit. So while Northwestern's been pretty bad the last couple of years since winning the division, I'm not completely writing them off.
0: Sticking in the Big Ten West, Champaign, Illinois, Wyoming comes to town. After a mass exodus of uh, of players and talent to the transfer portal, they've also had to use – the Craig Bowles had to use the transfer portal to be able to stock up and prepare for the season. Now, Illinois, as a team, is coming in with uh, the expectations of being able to, uh, A, have a much different-looking offense, something that I know that, Tom, you've hinted at or even outright discussed here a couple times. We've got a really, really good running back room. Tommy DeVito season has arrived <laughs> – We uh, again, we'll do picks and locks a little bit later on, at least on Thursday in our week zero locks episode. But from a storylines perspective, like what is what is there to be gained, lost or learned for Illinois going into that game?
2: I think that Illinois needs to win this game comfortably. If it doesn't, I think that if you're an Illini fan, there's reason to be concerned because we've seen like last year. Illinois at its opener against Nebraska surprised a lot of people by beating the Cornhuskers. And then off of a bye later in the year, it went on the road and beat Penn State. So early returns indicate that, like, if nothing else, Brett Bielema is a pretty good coach or his teams are pretty well prepared when it comes into games where they've had time to get ready for him. So Illinois has been getting ready for a Wyoming team that, as you mentioned, is completely different. Than the last time you saw the Cowboys, Levi Williams, their quarterback transferred to Utah state. Xavier invalidated the team's leading rusher transferred to Arizona state leading receiver, Isaiah Naor transferred to Texas. Got hurt is out for the year, but that while that doesn't impact Wyoming anymore, that's still the three most important players on your offense last year are gone. They also lost a number of players on the defensive side of the ball to the transfer portal and graduation. So this is, A first game for a team with a lot of new faces and new places on the road at an Illinois team that's trying to get to a bowl this year. So this is a huge game for them. They have to win this game if they want that to be a really realistic expectation. So for me, I think defensively, Illinois is probably going to be pretty good again. I don't expect Wyoming to do too much. But if the offense is able to take a step forward, because as you alluded to, they had an offensive coordinator last year in Tony Peterson. After only one year, new coach, he gets replaced by Barry Lenny Jr. comes in from UTSA, worked with Bielema at Arkansas. They're trying to be a little more dynamic on offense, not the same typical Burt Bielema kind of Wisconsin ball like, you know, oh, yeah, two- four
0: tight ends, running the ball 45 times a game, that kind of stuff.
2: Exactly. So, it's going to be interesting to see if Illinois can add a little bit more of explosive nature to its offense because like Chase Brown's a very good running back who most of the country's probably not aware of, but he's one of he's going to be in the he's going to be an NFL draft pick next year but they can't just rely on him as much as they did last season. If they want to get to a bowl game, they need to find more explosiveness in the passing game. So for me, just as a fan, that is going to be the most interesting aspect to me. I want to see if this team can move the ball through the air with big explosive plays instead of short little four yard pickups that just serve as extensions of the run game.
0: Yeah. Tommy DeVito at his best has been like, I mean, moxie through the Mm -hmm. roof, like playmaking in Illinois.
2: Yeah. Illinois hasn't really had a moxie QB in a while. So I think that's kind of for me because I, I love. I don't, I don't need quarterbacks to be great to enjoy
0: them, but if they just if they think they're great, that's enjoyable to me. Yes. No, we don't. No, like that's one of the things about the Jag Plus, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can. I think in my quarterback analysis that, um, which by the way is like just a guy. I know we've got a lot of new viewers and listeners right now, but what can get you the plus and turn you from a Jag to a Jag Plus? can be the moxie and the intangibles and the confidence and the mm-hmm. willingness to just go out there and get it done. Like at a power five level, Tommy DeVito might be a Jag, but when he's been healthy, boy, that boy's got some plus to him with what he can do, um, making plays through the air and, and even scooting a little bit with his feet. So, um, uh, very, very interested to see there again on, we'll do our official locks on Thursday. Florida State uh, gets its season started against Duquesne. North Carolina gets its season started against Florida A&M. From these two ACC teams that will be in action in Week Zero, to me, it's all about what they carry from this game into their Week One game with the traditional season opening weekend. Florida State's challenge, undoubtedly tougher. Um, I yeah yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say undoubtedly tougher because you're gonna go from playing Duquesne, trying to work out the kinks, getting things going to all of a sudden traveling to New Orleans Mm -hmm. for a neutral but not neutral site game against LSU. An offensive line that has already had some setbacks in terms of injuries and and some real questions in terms of depth. And You just want to get, get out of there healthy because you're going to be meeting a force to be reckoned with that will be that LSU defensive front. Jordan Travis is our QB1. We don't have any big quarterback, you know, questions there and I imagine that the wide receiver room, which as we have come to learn throughout training camp if if we did not know already, is is a real strength. Like the the kinds of players that they have who, you know, 62, 63, players who can go out there and win 50-50 balls. Like that's that is something uh, real difference makers at the wide receiver position can help Jordan Travis really take that next step forward for North Carolina. Again, it's not going to New Orleans to play LSU, but you are going to Boone to go on and play Appalachian State. We know as of you know, just about 20 minutes ago uh, that Drake May will be the starting quarterback. I expect Jacoby Criswell will still play. Uh, yes. He offers a little bit of a, a run threat as well, but this is going to be how does the young blue chip like through and through North Carolina, like his... His whole family is all North Carolina. He is, like, you want to talk about the below the radar if you wanted to ask me to speculate wildly. I would imagine there was just as much booster uh, interest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) there's just as much booster influence in, uh, in in the North Carolina quarterback job, though certainly not the... Not going to be getting the national attention that Quinn Ewers and Texas does, but there is a lot of when when Drake May com- committed to North Carolina, he was tabbed as someone who was going to be the the next in line, the next NFL draft pick to to come from that North Carolina quarterback room. This the picket the the options at wide receiver when it comes to uh, experience and proven reliability are thin beyond Josh Downs. But there's been a lot of, and they've lost British Brooks, uh, a senior, like senior Antoine Green down with injury, senior British Brooks down with injury at the running back position. But there's young guys that look ready to go. So, as I mentioned in the locks pod, everything that I've heard about some of the youth movement is that the potential is there. And so, this Florida A&M game at least is the first chance for them to build some confidence. So, for Florida State and North Carolina, the thing that I'm focused on is what can you build upon because what's coming up a week later is going to be the kind of challenge that could send your season going one way or the other.
2: Do you think that when Drake May looks at the depth chart just before the first game and he sees he's at number one at the QB spot, he's going to be like, started from the bottom, now I'm here. Stop. Stop. Or will he be like, we'll see what's about to happen next?
0: How many Drake one-liners <laughs> do you have loaded up right now? Uh, I don't know. I can. <laughs> you're seeing this now, you're too late. <laughs> That's what he tells pass rushers as as they come charging at him now. If you're seeing this now, you're too late. Uh, Yeah, the Rattlers at at 8.15 p.m. Eastern time, uh, the duquesne Florida State game, both those games on the ACC network. And and we can open it up, but the most important game Mm -hmm. of week zero is our Vanderbilt Commodores sporting that new V. Fantastic work on that new V. On the big island taking on Hawaii. It is the debut of the Timmy Chang era. Yep. Like Hawaii's coaching change, I think, is going to become news to a lot of college football fans who are enjoying their you know, first 10:30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff, first, you know, Hawaii time slot game of the year. Again, on the mothership, where you will hear dah, 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 dah. so um what, what's, what stands out? What are some of the storylines that are really intriguing to you uh, about Vanderbilt starting its season at Hawaii beyond, obviously, it being a key piece of our prediction that Vanderbilt's going to hit its win total by the end of September?
2: I was going to say it's a big game for, <laughs> for us. <laughs> for the win total locks. It's probably a big game for them, too. Uh, I Yeah, it's I want to see Vandy. I mean, I know it's just obviously the Barton connection on the show. So, I want to see what Vandy looks like going into year two under Clark Lee, knowing where the thing started and where they're planning to go. I think getting this game on the road in Hawaii with their first year coach, I think it's important for them because, you know, when you play Hawaii, first of all, you get the trip to Hawaii, but then you also get to play an extra game. So I think that this is just an interesting, it's a, it's going to be an interesting game to watch, and I expect Vanderbilt to win. And I just, I want to see what they look like. I want to get an idea what my doors look like in 2022.
0: The... We're longer, we're faster, and there is nowhere to go but up <laughs> for Vanderbilt football. We are, we are, we are going to see uh, a group that has learned the lessons of last season, and um, and I think that one. I saw somebody in the chat earlier mentioned that they had gotten Vanderbilt minus six and a half uh, early. That line now sits at seven and. I have no idea how how to even put a number on what Hawaii's going to be.
2: Yeah, I but don't. Man,
0: what a what an opportunity uh, for Vanderbilt to go in there and get the season started right. Okay, there's one more um, sort of sicko type game that has my attention. Is there anything else that you want to shine a spotlight on before we get out of here?
2: Uh, I'm. You know what? I have to write a a mini version of the six pack this week. For, it's called the four pack. And I'm very much tinkering with the idea of betting New Mexico State at home against Nevada.
0: Oh, forget forget tinkering with the idea. Spoiler, that thing might be infinity on Thursday because we're all coming from the same position. We're all coming from the same starting point. We're either going to be right or we're going to be wrong. And that starting point is that Nevada has nothing mm-hmm. and that all power ratings for Nevada are going to include loads and loads of talent that is not there. A head coach that left with many of the best assistant coaches, other assistant coaches who left. Um, Our new head coach, uh, Ken Wilson, comes in from the staff at Oregon. He was at Nevada for a long time. I know he loves Nevada, and he cannot wait to build that place up. But the team that is going to be on the field is going to be a big adjustment from what we saw from the Wolfpack under Jay Norvell last year. New Mexico State also has a new head coach, which is Jerry Kill, who was pretty good as a head coach at the Power Five level. So we've got first time ever being a head coach in (laughs) Nevada going up against established head coach Jerry Kill. Admittedly, New Mexico State has been among the five worst teams at the FBS level, ranking, but somewhere between number 125 and number 130 uh, over the last couple of years but this game is at New Mexico state and it is one of the better chances that New Mexico state might have to win a game this season. Remember, this is a New Mexico state team that puts itself as an independent in some very (laughs) precarious positions, which this year include going up against the likes of Missouri and at Wisconsin and at Minnesota. I think that this is potentially uh, a good spot for New Mexico state. So I, I don't I don't think you need to be ashamed about yeah, they're, the Aggies.
2: They're currently catching nine and a half points. You can get them on the money line at plus three hundred. Just just throwing these things out there.
0: And by the way, that's also been diving. You could have mm-hmm. gotten like I saw uh, I I don't think I'm telling anything Bud hasn't said on the uh Bud hasn't said on the podcast here, but he was like, got a little bit of fourteen, got a little bit of thirteen and a half, got a little bit of thirteen, got a little bit of twelve, got eleven. It's like <laughs> it's at, at every single point. Uh, our, our guy still finds value in in jumping on the home dog right there. So yeah I was I was gonna mention that one the in terms of storyline, that one is a coaching matchup and a a potentially wrong number right now uh, on on Nevada football. CBS Sports Network will also have you covered uh, the lead in to Vanderbilt Hawaii is going to be Charlotte and FAU. We get ourselves a, a conference USA conference game That one should be very fun. Uh, and then before that, a little Idaho State UNLV action. I mean, it's a quadruple header on mm-hmm. CBS Sports Network. Austin P and Western Kentucky as well. So um, keep keep yourself dialed in to all that from throughout the day. Uh, of course, Nebraska and Northwestern will be the one that when we are getting together for our uh, recap on Saturday night won't be as late as we normally do, but. But it'll be three times as long. <laughs> but it, it'll be uh, it'll be a lot of fun, and I'm sure we'll be giving updates on Vandy, Hawaii, as well as we're going through it. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Remember, we are now Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, 11 a.m. Eastern time. No change in the schedule. We want to make it easy on you to come and hang out with us live. So 11 a.m. Eastern time. And, of course, uh, on YouTube, you can come back and watch it. The shows always post uh, to the audio format as well. 11 a.m. Eastern time, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's our set time all through the season, which, by the way, is here. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you.